Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Sour and Sass. Today, we are joined by Nicole Wajno-Smith. Nicole, welcome to the show. Hey, Garrett. Thanks for having me, and I love that intro music. That was so fun. <laughs> yeah, that's all our team. So, obviously, VP of Marketing at Tackle.io, excited to have you here. I wanted to start off with a question because I was in prepping for this. I saw something that I thought was really interesting that I don't see yeah. a lot, which is, on your pricing page, you went with annualized pricing. Yeah. I've never seen anyone be like, yo, look how much our product costs. <laughs> I don't think it's like a bad idea, but I've never seen yeah. anyone like phrase pricing in ARR. So uh -huh. like, what, what was the logic behind that? Why are you doing it that way? I'm like super actually intrigued. Sure. So, well, we don't do any monthly pricing. Um, everyone we're signing up for is signing up for at least a year with us, sometime longer terms. And then we're also just transparent about pricing. Um, we sell every, we sell, we do 90% of our deals through the cloud marketplaces, which is what our product helps people do is get listed and sell in the cloud marketplaces. So if you go to AWS, Azure, or GCP marketplace, you can also see the price for our pro our products there and you know what the different packages are. So it's like, why wouldn't we be transparent too and put that on our pricing page of what everything is? And I think it just makes it even easier. I mean, there's no like, weird shit and then in the sales process yeah. of, oh, I had no idea, or this is weird. And I just think it makes it easier for people to request a demo or request pricing when we've already kind of gotten that up front. You can clearly see exactly what you're gonna be paying for and what you're gonna get depending on what package you wanna go with. I love that. Now, I am a marketer who is also a salesperson and okay. I've done a lot of sales. And I'm sure when you pitch this, if you have a certain type of head of sales, you're taking a high average order value product now and you're making the sale a little bit more transactional and transparent. Mm -hmm. But some head of sales would say, okay, that's great. But now I can't maybe like get that gross margin target the CFO wants because I can't like sell bigger clients and charge them more. Do you, you know what I'm saying? Like a lot of salespeople, yeah. they really, do you get any pushback on this? Like, is like, what was the thought? Pro I just want to understand because. I totally agree with you. I just know how salespeople are and they love, right, to like get that extra margin and their commission yeah. on bigger deals. Did, is that an issue at all or was there any conversations there? So, you know, pricing has never been done in a bubble at Tackle. It's been done, you know, it's an exercise between marketing, between sales, between finance, between product. So that it's not just one person saying this is what pricing and packaging is. And, you know, we went through a big exercise with this um, when we did, we redid the website last year and then um, kind of reorganized how we were pricing and packaging things. And it was really led, you know, actually by our CRO. So wow. he's definitely on board with how we were doing this. And then it's something we re revisit every six months and, you know, look at how orders have been going, you know, are we pricing correctly? And then, you know, also talk to customers and get their feedback on it as well. I love that. I love that. Yeah. Because was that unique? Like coming from user IQ, was it unique that you did like price, like pricing was such like a group decision and all the departments are involved in other organizations you've been at? Is that unique or is that kind of standard in your opinion? No, I think it is unique. Um, at least I think for everyone to have so much input. And I also don't think like, I think people like to say they ask their customers about it to get input on it and, you know, get a barometer on what they're hearing. But I don't always think that's the case from organizations I've always been at. And I think that's really important um, for things like yeah. that. So I think sometimes it's just like, hey, I think we should be charging more. Why? 
I don't know, because I feel like we could get more for this product. Well, okay. But you don't have any real research on that. I love that. Yeah, we all, I think myself included, we love to be like, yeah, oh yeah, we talk to our customers. But like, there's a lot of talking to your customers and like talking to your customers. Yeah. And sounds like you've done a really good job with that. Um, mm -hmm. Due to those customer relationships, I saw something unique too you did on your case studies, right? Getting case studies from enterprise accounts is hard and you've got some great ones like yeah. New Relic, right? But you also added a CTA. Did adding a CTA back to New Relic and their marketplace listing help you get approval? So it was kind of like a partner marketing thing for your case study or did you all just do that? Like what was the, I've never seen anyone add a CTA yeah. back to the client they did the case study of and I thought that was brilliant. What was your kind of thought process there? Yeah, I think it's, you know, we're trying to help um, potential customers and other customers, you know, understand that these customers have been really successful, you know, selling through the cloud marketplaces. And then we kind of want to be able to showcase their success and, you know, direct people to their listing if they're interested in that. So I think that's why we did it. And I don't know that it helped us get approval, but we always want to be able to promote our customers in different ways like that. And, you know, give them some extra publicity too, whether that's a link to their marketplace listing or something else that they value. And um, yeah, so that's kind of why we did it. I love it. I think it's brilliant. I think it really helps Thanks. create that alignment. Yeah. Now it is sour and sass. Are you ready? I'm ready. Let's do it. Okay. <laughs> I'm a little scared. Right. Which one are you going with? Um, oh. All right. So let's see. Which one do I have? All right. I got a red one. Okay. Mine's this cherry. is a strawberry Fine. grape. Yeah. Okay. You're like a pro at this now, so it's an unfair advantage. Okay. My tip, you got to put it inside of your mouth. It's a lot okay. easier. Okay. Ooh. Yeah, that's like okay, the first you know. one. It's like painting. Okay. The first one is like a primer. Mm -hmm. The second one is like 10 times more sour. Okay. Oh, gosh. Okay. Because it's like in your case, I don't know what happens. Mm -hmm. it's, oh, this is pretty sour. <laughs> God. I was expecting a lot worse, but this is, you know. I'm the ugliest. <laughs> um, one of the things I found interesting is you're creating a category. We and are. you're being successful at it right now. Now, category creation, in my opinion, is brilliant. A fad. <laughs> and also like wise, but also hard to fund, right? Yeah. So it's like you have this like game where you mm -hmm. say you want to create a category. Like I, yeah. all I do is consult with SaaS companies, okay? Like everyone's mm -hmm. creating a category right now. Yep. And almost nobody's funding category creation. So they like do this hot, like rah, rah, we're going this category. And then like, don't fund it. And prioritize it because a lot of times they're chasing short-term returns. Mm -hmm. And so this is a part of their vision, right? We're going to create this category. It's like the CEO's vision, right? Let's say. But then they don't – they fund other channels and really just more bottom of funnel. Yeah. So how do you think about breaking your budget up at Tackle? And how, how do you fund category creation, which is a long-term initiative, while still hitting short-term – objectives like what's that what's that like for you yeah so i think it kind of started with just like alignment of the leadership team and even our board as well of like this is what we want to do and this is what it's going to take you know it's not a six month effort it's like a few years long of an effort that we're going to have to dedicate 
certain team members to doing this and it's going to take the top down alignment of all of us working cross-functionally kind of like the pricing exercise i was talking about it is it's not a marketing team effort either like i have to have sales involved in this i have to have product i have to have our ceo i have to have customer success doing this and you know we're going to need to build a community we're going to need to do a podcast we're going to need to do a book and all these efforts and like you said it's like you know probably in this first year it's about you know 20 to 30 percent maybe a little more of our budget focus on this and understanding that we're not going to be able to see some roi of this and it's not driving leads for us but that we can be comfortable saying this because we know that it is getting us to where we need to be to then next year do something a little bit different and you know what is that going to be and i but i think if you're not setting this state if you're setting anything that's like we need instant results or something like that, then that's setting you up for failure and it's going to crash and burn. I like that. Now, the analysts in SaaS are very powerful. Yep. They're across our portfolio, millions and millions of dollars to spend every month. Gartner downloads top of funnel, kick everybody else's butt. Like, it, it just wins. Now, when you think about category creation, at what point do you think to involve G2, Capterra, Safford Advice, Gartner, Forrester, so that you can essentially be number one since you already are first mover? Like in mm -hmm. your brain, how does the timing of involving these third-party analysts go with the category? Because then you're also inviting competition. Like how does that yeah, juggling, right, of like amplifying competition yet being so confident in your own product that it doesn't matter uh -huh. so increase total demand for yeah. the service you're selling. Like, how do you juggle that? Yeah, I think that's been really tricky because, you know, we constantly have conversations with some of these analysts, but like you said, it's like, they don't have this certain category for it yet. And, you know, we're talking to them about like, okay, this is what it could be called and things like that. And they are doing things that are kind of tangential to this. You know, they're already, they have categories for like AWS marketplace and Azure marketplace and, you know, how do, how does someone like us fit into that? Um, but, you know, I think it's, you know, not necessarily worth a paid relationship yet until we're further along in it and yeah. can really sh start proving results of like, okay, yes, like we have built these things from the category and, you know, have this community along with it and starting to take some, you know, more, I think when it's picked up more momentum and interest, but you know, I kind of, um, Anthony Canada from Gainsight, um, he wrote a great book around category creation. And he kind of said like, if we had listened to analysts at the beginning of what they told us to call it, it wouldn't have been what customer success is now. So I like kind of always think about that in the back of my head of just keep following like our customers' voices and what they're telling us with this category as we're building it. I love that, I love that. Now you said you said a lot about customers. You said a lot about community today. Mm -hmm. What does community mean to you? Like when you think community as a marketer in twenty twenty one, it's a little different, right? It's not the same field marketing it used right. to be. It's not the same. Like I used to fly up to the bay, like freaking. It felt like weekly. I'd go up there. I'd find one of the nicest restaurants. I had uh, a woman on my team who was brilliant at this. And she would essentially, she was running sales development. She would get a private you know, room in a nice restaurant. And I'd put 10 CMOs in there and we'd do the whole event. COVID hit and community shifted. And it's harder to get those strategic communities. Now, big community is different. So do you see community as big? Do you see it as small? Like, do you see it as both? Like, how do you see community right now? 
I, first off, I really miss those events of like getting like 10 people in a room and having a great dinner and drinking wine. Yeah, so. I know. The wine and the dinner was great too, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I see it as both, I think, because I think there's advantages to like a smaller community for tight knit things and then big communities. But I think about like when I think of like my perfect community, probably, um, I think about it of like anyone who is kind of affected by this situation or you know is challenged by this you know as we think about we think buying and selling enterprise software just pretty much sucks and that's why the tackle platform was built like yeah. to make it a lot easier um and if you're you know have those pain points and challenges and like we want you to be a part of this conversation and this community we're building whether you know you're a person who's on the selling side whether you're on the buying side on procurement whether you're the cfo um you know, if you're a marketplace vendor, come talk to us. But then I think forming like smaller subgroups within that community for people to have those conversations like, hey, I'm a developer. Like, I don't want to have yeah. to build these APIs, but I want to just have these automatic integrations. And this is what I care about. You know, we're on the CRO and I want to generate more revenue. So I think the bigger community is important, but then the smaller persona focused communities as well. Yeah, and that's this that's where that's where I get lost. So let me kind of walk you through my brain yeah, on this. Sure. Because digital, I believe, should be sold through the champion, not the decision maker. I've always seen it work better. We sell a very high average order value product as well. Okay. Okay. And there's this myth I've seen in digital that like my persona is the CMO or the VP. Mm-hmm. Truth is my persona is the director of demand gen. It's my POC, the person I work with after I sign the contract. And so, and what's interesting is what that person wants out of a community is entirely freaking different. For sure. Then like, think about revenue collective, right? Mm -hmm. Like you're, you've done a lot there. You've been very successful with it. Yep. That is a different type of community than like an SEO community, like traffic think tank where it's mm -hmm. practitioner. Do you get yes. what I'm saying? So like, yes. How do you build a community? I know people like new relic. I know, or this is a question for them. I know people like sumo, like everybody who's trying to do product like growth mm -hmm. is getting just killed by this concept, right? Because product like growth means we want, you know, our end user to be able to engage with our product first to a certain extent. Yeah. But then how do we create community for our decision makers like, and do we do both? Like, I don't know. I don't know how to wrap my brain around. I'd love to hear your perspective on like champions, decision makers, and one community, if they're separate communities, do we need two communities? Like, I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. Yeah. I think you can almost do them in like one community, but then it's a little bit of, you know, having those different forums where they can have their own, their different conversations. Um, you know, we have something where Right now, like I said, we haven't really, we haven't created our community. So there's still a lot up in the air. I don't know that I have the perfect answer for it right now, but we've created two different things that tackle for those different groups. We have a marketplace advisory board. Um, and those are for more of those executive um, level decision makers at the organizations. And we meet with them quarterly and they really help us like inform some of that strategic direction of you know, where, sh where does even like marketplace go in the next few years and where should we be taking this? And then we have our user group and that's run by the product team. So they're getting direct feedback from those day-to-day -day people that again, 
like who are we working with? So kind of different, but I think there's still ways to like form those two groups together in different ways around some common topics and themes. But again, they're still kind of breaking them out separately for different discussions as well. I think that's brilliant. I think the advisory board is brilliant. It also can help with retention right on key accounts. Oh yeah. Bring key accounts into your advisory board so they feel like they're part of the roadmap. Yep. Um, I think that's brilliant. Now, when you think about community, we run ours called Society. Um, I think it's been really awesome. It's been effective for us. Not in like, it's part of our mission, right? Like because we have a high average order value product, we can't serve all the SaaS companies we want. So we literally let anyone who joins our community free of charge, ask a question. And like, I'm in it, my, our whole growth team's in it, all the executives are in it. We answer the question free of charge and it's all in Slack. Cool. Okay. So you're like, hey, I want to run on Capterra, but I'm struggling on this CPC. What have you all seen? And we can go like three paragraph answer yeah. on exactly how to do Capterra and why we'll do that over software advice or vice versa. Mm -hmm. So our community runs on Slack. When you think community, are you going to run it like on a Slack? Is it different? Like, how do you think about hosting a community? What does that look like? Yeah, I mean, I've thought of different things as well, because I think there's like a lot of new community platforms that have come out that, you know, make it, yeah make it easier that if you want to do something like that, you know, where you can have that, you can also then host events through there. So I'm looking into some of those, but you know, I do love the Slack aspect too, because you know, people are already using it for their jobs. You know, I use that then for revenue collective as a Slack community. So then I'm just pop, pop in between the tabs if I want to ask a question. So there's so many like advantages and it's, there's pros and cons to each one. So yeah, we're kind of going through that exercise right now, weighing those options. I love that. I love that. Yeah. Now, I think capital allocation is the that and value like offers your value proposition and how you spend your money. I found to be the two most indicative things of my performance in digital. Mm -hmm. When you think of capital allocation, how would you break down what you think is best practice for spending? Like five percent on category creation, fifty percent on lead gen, ten percent on awareness, like. How, like when you think about breakdown, do you how do you think about like growing brand? Because gr growing brand is also different than growing category, which is also yep. different than gen. And like, how do you think about spending in your mind? Like, what does that look like to you? Like, yeah, that's why. So that so I guess like to give a little background, um, we last year like the marketing team was just formed at tackle um so last year was a big investment in a lot of brand work and then lead gen work so i would almost say it was probably split like more almost you know 60 percent brand of like redoing the website messaging as we were going through a lot of pricing and packaging stuff on the product yeah. side and then getting lead gen spun up. You know, we didn't even have a marketing automation um, system in place when I came in. So, I mean, it was yeah. a big year of just process and foundation building. But now that we have all that in place, you know, I probably think about it as like, you know, closer to like 60% is going towards, you know, lead gen spend and those efforts, maybe 50%. Um, and then, a good chunk, probably 30% towards that that brand building and what we're doing there with like SEO, content creation as well. And then I would say maybe like the other 20% is towards um, that category creation. But then I'm realizing I'm leaving out kind of stuff we're spending on like our customers and um, also partner marketing. We're, you know, very close to the cloud providers. So we're doing marketing to them. So, you know, 
they still have a chunk of that as well. And I almost sometimes like bucket that in some of the lead gen work we're doing because it's still like, how are we retaining our customers? What are we doing there to nurture and market them as well? Yeah, well, especially with the the, the place you, like, you play in, a lot of our clients have pretty deep partner marketing budgets with like AWS and a lot of those players. And we're getting like massive spends to run campaigns for their partner marketing. Yep. So that's obviously a big part of it. Now, when you think of all of that though, one of the things that I get curious about is what's the future of lead gen in your mind? Because there's this piece that nobody likes to talk about that I think we should today, Yeah. which is you launch a campaign for lead gen, right? Let's call it the, the ultimate guide to, you know, Mark AWS marketplace. Mm-hmm. Okay. What I found is I turn that into a lead gen ad on LinkedIn. I use that as a top of funnel CTA on my website. I've got maybe a dual call to action on my landing pages for Google ads. And I'm getting people to download that. But then I go and I say, wow, yeah, Garrett, I'm crushing it on marketing. And I call my head of sales development and she goes, I go, hey, how are those leads from that uh, ebook that we've been pushing? Because yeah. what we call people and they literally go, what ebook? And they've never read it. And it's $17 a lead. I can just go buy that lead from Zoom Info for 75 cents. I don't know if we need those ebook leads anymore. Yeah. That's been my experience. What's your take on like the future of lead gen? Because we still all invest in it. We still all are like, ooh, we're in lead scoring and MQL, SQL. Yeah. But like activation is getting so hard to move people all the way through. Like I'm talking like almost 0% of my revenue comes from people who read content were like, wow. One day when I'm ready, I'm going to work with these guys. Yeah. And then like they turn into customers six months later. Like that's not, I haven't found it to be that real. Like what's your take on that? So I think my take is that it's still important to educate. We've moved away from everything like related to gating any content and are just offering everything for free. And I think especially it's like, again, we're the only company doing this. Like we're trying to create a category. And so we're like, how can we just give people this content for free. And so none of our content is is going to say, hey, this is a score. You need to call them from that ebook type of thing. But I think, you know, then what becomes more important is like, you know, how can we drive people to those paid ads or landing pages, but then like start to nurture them through that process. And I think what more and more marketing is going to be a focus of is marketing and sales really just aligning together on those campaigns. So if sales is going to be reaching out to people, what is marketing doing to support them? Like what are the ads or what are the events we're inviting them to? Because I think those campaigns that you are running together are generating the people that are moving down the funnel versus much more than anything of just like, hey, we're sending out these random emails or hey, they're gonna download some content and they're ready to buy. But I just think that like kind of account-based approach is the future of what's, not even the future, it's, it's been happening for a long time, but just getting better at that really will help marketers. I completely agree. Now it is sour and okay. Sense. Are we doing the one. other one? Are we doing Are the toxic the other one? one? Are you ready? Yeah. Mine's the purple one. It's the. Uh... Oh. Are you doing the toxic waste? I oh I wasn't. I can do that though. Should we do that one? No. I'm nervous. You do it. I'll do this one. <laughs> oh my gosh! All right, I'll be brave. Are you ready? Yeah. Oh I'm my god. This one. Okay. All right. Oh. Nicole's the brave one here. I am. 
This is true. This this is your third season, so. <laughs> this is my third season. I have no taste buds. <laughs> Ooh. It's so much worse. I'm telling you. See what I'm talking about? The second one is worse. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was like instant, right? And yeah. Ooh. Okay. Now, to the pointy question. <laughs> I wanted to make sure I got you all soured up first. Yeah. <laughs> Drifted category creation with a book. Also, we're talking about. Okay. No forms, a book. Yeah. Like. Active marketing centric CEO, talented VP of marketing. Right. But they had something, something that you and I, I would say we're the leading performance marketing in SaaS. I'd say we're creating a category in SaaS. And I'm focusing on community because I have a high average order value. My point being here, it's easy for Drift to create a category because we can all use their chatbot free of charge. Yet you have annual billing, and I've seen mm-hmm. your pricing. You're not a mass market player. You get what I'm saying? Like, we work with New Relic. Right. You work with New Relic. Mm-hmm. New Relic, there's not a lot of New Relics. You get my point here? Like, do you think category creation is possible if you don't have a freemium self-onboarded product? Because that's something I can't wrap my brain around. It's something I'm trying to pull off myself. So I'd love to hear your perspective because we're all following someone who has an entirely different business model. Mm-hmm. And it's happening to all of us. And I'm wondering if we're blind. Like, what's your take on that? Yeah. No, I do think it's possible. And I guess I'll go yeah. back again to the Gainsight example of them with customer success and creating that category. You know, they never, they didn't have a freemium product either. They were, yep. you know, pretty higher on the um, side of, and they, again, annual payments, never a monthly subscription either. So, and, you know, we do work with companies, not just the new relics of the world, um, or everyone from like seed and series A stage as well, um, wow. all the way up to, you know, the people that have IPO'd. So we can d- kind of do something for like every SaaS company. We just say, as long as you found product market fit, we don't want anyone who like doesn't really have that, doesn't have customers. And if you have a relationship with one of the marketplaces, but I do think you don't have to have that freemium or free free product to like achieve a category creation. I like that. And I actually had him on the show. Uh, and it was interesting to hear his perspectives on this because I, I'm right there with you. I agree. My thought process is like in a consulting business, we grow mm-hmm. through size accounts, not volume of accounts. Right. Yep. That's a little blend. And I think in most enterprise SaaS, like with your type of pricing, you're going to grow very similar as well, right? Through mm-hmm. size accounts. And you'll have some mid market yep. that the cash cow, but you're going to have mm-hmm. these enterprise count do you think community is like the most critical piece to that so you can create scale without scaling users in other words like for me right if i can get fifteen thousand members in society i don't need fifteen thousand customers to create a category because i can create my category through my community like that's my path are you pursuing something similar or what's your take there no i think community is a huge piece of that too you know it's just getting more people around wrapped around that idea and seeing what comes from that, you know, a lot like you said too. So I agree. Yeah. Now you all have the demo as your CTA. Mm-hmm. And I'm seeing more and more people move away from it to this product led growth mentality. What's your take on that? Is, is that something that's in your roadmap? Is that something you think you can pull off? Do you think it's important? Like, do you think people have to be able 
to engage with your product before a demo in the future? Like, do you think if an incumbent came to the marketplace mm-hmm. and they said, Hey, look, you can like go play with it. Like that would be a problem. Like what's your thought on that? Like product like growth and how to get yeah. one sooner. Yeah. I love the product led growth companies and you know how that plays out and letting people play with the product first and, you know, try before buying. Um, I think right now with the stage we're at and like who our buyers are and who we're engaging with, you know, a lot of it is alliance and channel leaders, biz dev, and then a lot of this, you know, a CRO comes into play or a finance and sales ops. Like they they wouldn't be the ones that want to like necessarily go in and play with something. And you can't, you couldn't actually like go in and play with it unless it was hooked up to marketplace. So we would have, have to do that first. Um, so I, there's probably ways like to, you know, it gives people a sandbox or go around that. So I don't think it's ever something that's like off the roadmap. You know, it's something we think about and talk about. Um, but yeah, it would just kind of be, it's always open. I don't think we're ever closed off to think about those like bigger ideas and how can we do these things as we think about moving forward. Yeah. If you want an example of that, Pendo uh, has a really good example on their homepage. They're using a tool called Get Reprise, I believe. And it's mm-hmm. allowing them to build like a demo environment without they have a complex product too like if you've ever yeah. seen the nightmare yeah. no offense to that like just to set them up like it's difficult mm-hmm. um i think they've done a good job with it in closing we have a lot of people in SaaS revenue marketing what does someone need to do to be a good customer for tackle so if someone wanted to sign up for tackle you know and, and after all this they're like look we need to do a better job on marketplaces what, what do they need where do they need to be to be a customer yeah so, you know, if you're if you have a SaaS product that, you know, you're looking to get on marketplace, you know, as long as again, you've kind of had had that product market fit, you know, you either have a relationship with AWS, Azure, GCP. So you're probably like having hosting some of your cloud spend through one of those three cloud providers. Like you're pro- you could be a great fit. You know, we're happy to talk to you about that. And yeah, it's a great way to make enterprise selling of software suck a little less There's through the cloud marketplaces. <laughs> I love it. Suck a little less. Well, thank you so much for being on the show, Nicole. If someone yeah. wants to follow you in your journey, uh, what's the best way for them to do that? Um, yeah, they can get in touch with me on LinkedIn or I'm on Twitter as well. So either of those work perfectly. I love it. I love it. Well, thank you so much for being on the show, yeah. Nicole. And that is Sour and Sass. Bye, everybody. Thank you for having me.